Well, good morning, everyone. Um, we come to the point where we turn to our Bibles, the Word of God, uh, the passage that is before us today, which is Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. And we remind ourselves that the whole point of this is that we allow the Bible to speak to uh, all our hearts. So let's read it. Philippians 4, 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. May God's word touch your hearts. So I, w- I want to speak to you today about uh, the whole issue of, of spiritual perspective. Uh, in particular, Paul's perspective that is laid out for us in these verses. I mean, it is quite remarkable, actually, when you consider, of course, that Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's, he's chained 24 hours a day to, to Roman soldiers. And not just that, life has been made more difficult than it needed to be because of the, the gossip and the activity of so-called Christian people who are just proving to be rather difficult. And of course he receives news as well of things back in Philippi not going as well as they might have been. So despite all of this, I mean it's remarkable to look at this book, and uh, you see it in this passage of course, how frequently he seems to be just so upbeat. And he's talking, in fact he's advising that those who listen to his letter are those who should be rejoicing in the Lord. And, and joy is such a, a big part of the, of the flavor of this letter. So how, how is he able to keep things in perspective? Uh, he's looking at the whole show uh, and he's able to keep things with the right view and in the, in the right balance with, with the proper perspective. Well... That's, that's what I hoped we would look at today. 
And I think, of course, there's a lesson there for all of us to, to have spiritual perspective. Now, in this reading, if you, as you were following it, uh, you, you will have seen there are three paragraphs. And, and what I plan to do is just to lift a little phrase out of each of the paragraphs, that phrase which you'll see there, um, you know, I think kind of summarizes the main message of, of each paragraph. And so we're going to be looking at his, what he says about his fellow workers. And then about the Lord is at hand. And then when he says, think on, on these things. So, so let's look at this, my fellow workers. Now, we've, we've all known as we've followed through this letter up until this point that uh, things are not just as they should have been as far as the church in Philippi, that there have been grumblings and disputes and, and disagreements. And that's all been a kind of alluded to in general terms up until now. But uh, he now names names. And there are these two ladies, uh, and uh, we meet them, and uh, here they are, Yodia and, and Syntica. And there, there clearly is some disagreement. They've fallen out, there's a problem, they're not getting on. And he feels he has to name that. Now, the point I'm, I want to make is this. Just look at, at what he says and the vocabulary that's used. He says, I entreat them. All right. Now, he's not coming across as being heavy. He's not playing the kind of I am the apostle card. He's not rebuking them. He's, he's gentle. He, he is entreating them. Despite all the carry on, he's speaking to them and he's appealing to them. That, that's the kind of approach that, that he's taking. And, and this is, this is his approach in most places. There are quite a number of examples of this elsewhere in the New Testament. In fact, when he wrote to Timothy, he said, Timothy, I don't want you ever to rebuke an older man. But you've got to entreat him as you would do your own father. You know, so this is the way, it's a kind of gentle way that he is approaching it. And in addition to that... Um, he speaks to somebody who he terms in verse uh, 3 uh, his true companion, not to kind of marginalize these women, you know, close them down, but, but, but to help them, to help them. And um, it's quite interesting actually, uh, the, the literal translation of that true companion is a true yoke fellow. Alright, now when we say yoke, of course it's not eggs we're thinking about, it's the agricultural, you know, the oxen and the, and the, and the yoke. True yoke fellow. I mean, some people actually think that um, that could have been somebody's actual name, you know, Mr. Yoke Fellow. Alright, in the same way as Newcastle fans know, you know, Sean Longstaff or, you know, Walter Winterbottom, you know, there's, you know, Mr. Yoke Fellow. Whether that is the case or not, the point is being made that I look upon you, my fellow workers, as being yoke fellows. Right? So it's not just two of us having a yoke round our necks, joined to each other. It's the lot of us. I mean, just you imagine this great big yoke, you know? You know, 20 long or even more, and everybody's yoked together. Of course, it's not a wooden yoke he's really talking about. 
He's talking about the fact that they're joined together spiritually, but they are joined together. You know, so it's not just like when the Irish sing their national anthem, you know, shoulder to shoulder, you know, and the arms around the shoulders. It's a yoke that joins us even closer than that. When people become Christians, they place their faith in the Lord Jesus as their Savior. We're, we're yoked together spiritually. And he says, with these ladies, you know, we're all yoked together. Clement, Mr. You know, Yoke Fellow, and, and the rest of them were all joined together. And in a sense, part of what we've done today represents that. You know, the bread actually has a, a dual symbolism. It speaks to us. You read about this in First Corinthians 10. It, it speaks to us about the body of Christ. But it also speaks to us about the fact that all believers are one body. We all partake of the one loaf because we are one body in Christ. And, and that's the perspective, if you like, that he is reminding himself of, that he's passing on to everybody else the importance of recognizing we're joined together. Now, there's something else, actually, that he says as well. When he talks about the rest of my fellow workers, he says... Whose, whose names are in the book of life. So he said, I'm, I'm reminding myself of this. These ladies, their names are also in the book of life, just as my name is in the book of life. Now, during this last week, in fact, we've still got this in the house, copy of the Evening Express. Can't remember what day it was. As you know, all those of you who have young children, this is the time when the P1s get their pictures taken and they're in the paper. Alright, so we were looking for our little Bella's one, and there she was down on the right hand side, uh, and her, her, her name and her face uh, was in the Evening Express. Now, I don't know if you've ever had your name in anything, you know? Uh, some who's who of, you know, whatever it is, education or medics or business, uh, or, or if, if ever there was going to be a kind of history of, of Aberdeen in the, in the early 2000s, would your name be in that book? Would they say anything about my contribution or your contribution? Well, of course, the most important book to have your name recorded in, there is a book called the Book of Life. The Book of Life. And, and you can have your name recorded in that book as one who has life. Here is one who has eternal life through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And at the very moment that any person deliberately and consciously places their faith in the Lord Jesus as their Savior and their Lord and Master, Heaven notes that, and heaven records that, and it's indelible, and it's never washed away, and nothing can change that. It's recorded in the Lamb's book of life, and the Lord knows those that are his. He knows. He knows those that are his. John 10, my, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And no one will ever be able to snatch them out of my hand. And it's the greatest thing in the world to know that your name is recorded in the book of life, if it is there. 
In fact, on one occasion, Jesus really reminded the disciples about that. They came back and they were buzzing about all the things that they had been able to do. Fair enough. But he says, here is something that you should rejoice in even more than any of that. It's that your names are written in the book of life. Some of you were down in Fascali at the church weekend away. When the camps go there in the summertime, particularly the junior camp, they've got a kind of medley that they have as their camp song. And one of the, one of the, the lines in it runs together an old hymn that I can remember learning when I was very small, um, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound. And, and the refrain of it goes like this. Not that I'm going to sing it, but it's when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. You know, so, so it's when the roll call. We used to get that when we were at school. They, they called out all your names. And when your name was called, you said, here, yes, put your hand up. There'll be a roll call in heaven. You know, of names recorded in the book of life. And it's a tremendous thing to think that when that roll is called, that I'll be able to say, yes, I'm here. I'll be there. And so it comes to us a challenge. But the point is this. The real point in this passage. When things may get fractious or tense. And there could be disagreements. Paul is saying, come on. Get a little perspective on things. Remember, they're your fellow workers. And their names are written in the same book of life as yours are. So that's the first point. In the first perspective. The second one is the Lord is at hand. Well, you'll notice how that paragraph begins. Um, he's encouraging, encouraging them to, to rejoice in the Lord. You know, He says, always do this. I'm going to say it twice. Rejoice in, in the Lord. Now, when he says that, and when we say that, it's not to kind of downplay or to kind of... Um, Say that people's difficulties or, or challenges in life or even the, the tragedies that people go through. It's not, it's not to kind of negate or diminish any of that. We're not just plastering over some fake smile on the difficulties of people's lives. That's not the point. And that's insensitive and it's, it's unrealistic. But, but what, what he's saying is this, and we, we did touch on this a few weeks ago, is that irrespective of difficulties and problems you know we can still rejoice in the Lord we're not rejoicing in the difficulty but we can rejoice in the Lord you know and the, and the big example is the, is the one from Habakkuk you remember that was mentioned a few weeks ago you know though the fig tree doesn't blossom and you know there's no herd in the stall and the sheep are you know everything's gone there's just devastation everywhere and he says in spite of all of that, yet will I rejoice in the Lord, the Lord of my salvation. The Lord has done great things for me, and I'm glad about that. And that, that's the point, really, uh, that's, that's being made here. Now, I, th- I think there are two things that are being said in this paragraph when he says, uh, the Lord is at hand. Uh, the first one is this. Remember the Lord's presence. The Lord is with us. 
You know, he's always there. He said, I'll never leave you. Uh, I'll never forsake you. You remember the image in the book of Revelation about Christ walking in the midst of the lampstands, walking among the churches, walking among his people. The Lord, the Lord is always there. The Lord is always at your elbow. The Lord is always at hand. I can remember plaques, don't see them so much these days, that used to be up in people's dining rooms, which used to say, the Lord is the unseen guest at every meal. The listener in at, at every conversation. You used to think about that. The Lord's here. He, he, he sees. He listens. The Lord is at hand. But I, I think it also means this. It's talking about the Lord's coming. The, the Lord is coming. The Lord is at hand. He's about to come. And they had this expectation and awareness that Christ could come. Jesus had said, had he not, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will, I'll come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, you might be also. And so this is, this has always been a big thing for Paul. Just backtrack up to the end of chapter three and you'll see that he's just spoken about it then. Where he says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And so this is something that he's emphasizing. And it's for this reason, uh, for, for rejoicing, for, for both of these things. He says, because of both of these things, you can rejoice. And because of both of these things... You should be reasonable. You should conduct yourself well. Now, this whole thing is also meant to influence the whole issue of, of anxiety and, and put that into perspective. You see, if uh, you remember your grammar at school, um, in verse number five, the Lord is at hand, and then there's a semicolon, which means the, that 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 explains what comes after it. All right. So what comes after it is all about not being anxious, but in everything by prayer, because of the Lord's coming. Don't be anxious. Now, anxiety, of course, is a is a massive thing. In our day and age, it's, you know, everybody refers to it as being in epidemic uh, proportions, particularly among, among the young. And of course, there are, there are probably many reasons for that. You know, a lot of it was down to lockdown. Probably a lot of it has to do with social media. An awful lot has to do with, with expectations that are there in general. And of course, it's important to say that, you know, certain illnesses, do predispose people to anxiety. And some people, as far as their temperament is concerned, are just much more prone to anxiety than, than other people are. And, uh, and of course, there is the need at times for people to have professional help for all of these things. But what he's doing here is he's talking in, in general terms about how to approach anxiety and how to have a spiritual perspective on that so that people are not overwhelmed, 
They don't feel dominated or, or paralyzed by feelings of anxiety. And it's to remember, it's to remember, to bear this in mind, that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. In, in both senses of the word, that, that he's near you, that he's with you, that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he's made his home within your life, and that will never be left. It's, it's to remember that, and it's also to remember that, that he is coming. He's at hand. And what that means is this, that he will put to right all the wrongs, all the injustices, all the hurts, and that he is sovereign, which means that he is in control. And when I feel anything but in control of my emotions or of my life or my circumstances, it is to remind myself that Christ will come. And that means that irrespective of what is happening in my world or in the wider world that we just seem powerless to have any kind of influence over, that he is in control. He will come. He will come. And as he will be the king of kings and lord of lords. And he will control everything. And it's for me to have that in my mind. Gives proper perspective. And I can bring my anxieties and my concerns to him in prayer. I can speak to him personally. Believing that he cares. Believing that he hears. And that he is my heavenly father. And of course, the essence of prayer, of coming to him in that way, as we have here described, is is faith. I, I believe that he cares for me and that he listens. And this is the very essence of, of Christian perspective. That we live our lives not by natural sight or by natural emotion or by natural sense. But we live our lives by faith in Christ. The just will live by faith. That is how we are to live with our eyes upon Christ and upon his word. And that's, of course, in Hebrews 11, what all the faithful were commended for in their lifetime. Different circumstances. You see different examples and illustrations of how people lived their life by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I heard uh, when I was out for my morning run, my earphones on, Alistair Begg, um, on one of his messages said uh, about fear. He said, Fear is the first cousin of unbelief. He was talking about one of the incidents in the life of Christ. Um, Jesus came on the water in the middle of the night. The disciples were rowing. And they were were frightened. And he said to them, it's me. It is I. Don't be afraid. And, and, And fear is often such a big part of our lives. And he said, fear is the first cousin of unbelief, and that's maybe why, on another occasion, Jesus said to Jairus, whose little girl had died, He said, "Don't be afraid; only believe." 
You know, that, that basically sums up what is being said here in this passage about anxiety and yet the importance of the prayer of faith that we can offer to God. And uh, the result of this, if you look at the end of the paragraph, is, is peace. And, and it's not just any kind of peace that's talked about. It's, it's the peace of God. And that peace, he says, surpasses all understanding. Now, now Jesus talked about that himself to his disciples who were troubled uh, about his mentioning that he was leaving them. And he said, you know, my, my peace, my peace, my particular and unique type of peace, I am leaving with you. I will give that to you. My peace. Don't let your heart be troubled and neither be afraid. And that peace, he says here, will, will guard your hearts, will garrison, will protect your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I don't know if you noticed this as we, we had the, the reading, but there, there, there is, there is a, an important positioning here. He's just talked about the peace of God. If you look down at the end of verse 9, he talks about the God of peace. The God who is the author of unique peace. The God who is the giver of peace. The God who, as his nature is peace, he will give you that peace that passes all understanding as we live a life that has as part of its awareness that the Lord is at hand in both senses of that word. And as we come in prayer, His peace that passes all understanding can protect us. Now finally, and interestingly enough, um, He says that as well in verse number 8. Finally, brothers, Interestingly, it's the second time he said finally. I mean, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 1, he says, finally, my brother. So even Paul, you know, uh, his messages went on a little bit longer than he expected. He had two finalies. But it's a, it's a good job he didn't stop after the first one or we would have missed out all this, this stuff that we've just been looking at. But he, he does say, you know, what I want you to do now to get a little perspective on things is, is to think about certain things. I mean, people have come up with a, a, a variety of uh, titles or names, if you like, for, for this letter to the Philippians. One of my favorites is uh, Joy from the Jail, you know. But there is another one. And some people have referred to it as the psychological letter. And the reason for that is that in every single chapter, the mind is mentioned. You know, if you're interested, um, chapter 1, verse 27, he talks about striving with one mind. Chapter 2, verse 5, he talks about let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Chapter 3, verse 19, talks about people whose minds are set on earthly things. And now, he's saying, there are some things I want you to think about. So, I mean, clearly, you know, he says it's important to think correctly. Um, and this, is, this, of course, is a very, very practical point. And, and he's got a whole list of things. Things that are true and honorable, just and pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. These are the kind of things that should be in our minds that we should be deliberately trying to think about. Now, this is not just done as some sort of kind of uh, cognitive behavioral exercise type thing. You know, it's not just a kind of distraction technique. I mean, what this is about is the best stuff. Not the, not the negatives, the bad stuff. But principally, to, to set your mind on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's Colossians 3. You know, to have my mind full of Christ and his gospel and his promises, his exceeding great and precious promises. Now, it's not restricted to that. And there are other many other commendable things, but it certainly includes that. And it's a challenge, isn't it, to all of us to look at things and to think at things, think about things that are nourishing and edifying and, and satisfying ultimately. The things that are best. And he says, you know, I, I hope that that sums up my, my perspective. That, that's always been my example. Verse 9. What you, you learned and received and heard and, you, and you've seen in me. That, that, I'm offering that to you. It's, it's been my life. It's my viewpoint on things. Uh, and if you practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. you know, so we can go from this place with a promise today. The God of peace is with me. There might be somebody else walking beside you. You might be part of a group. But the God of peace can be with you if you practice these things. So we're always to be reminded that, yes, our mind is to be engaged. Our mind is so key in all of this. But that it's not to remain there. It's to come out and it's to be worked out in, in how we practice things and do things and to be changed by it. And so, the message for all our hearts today is, let's just get a little bit of perspective. And look at what Paul epitomizes and puts himself up there as an example of, of how he looks at people. And how he thinks about the Lord. And how he thinks about himself. May God bless his word. And may the God of peace go with all of us, shall we pray. Lord, so we come to you. Thank you so much for your word, this living word that speaks to our hearts, this eternal word that although heaven and earth might pass away, your word will never pass away, living and powerful. Lord, it's spoken to all of us and help us to take it to heart to gain a proper perspective, to live our lives by faith in the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for us as we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.